the first time that I realized this was a lever I could pull to change my experience in its world. And I had control over that. And I had had debilitating GI problems since I was a little kid. And they had got really, really bad through university. Surprise, surprise, the stress, right? And probably not taking very good care of myself. Really, really debilitating. And I found that if I tweaked some things, I could not have that experience. And so I didn't have to experience this world through this lens of pain as long as I made these changes. Welcome to Tuning In. I'm your host, Catherine Peloso-Smith, and I'm here to talk all things intuitive wellness, natural nutrition, raising the vibe, and reconnecting to your truest self. I'm a practicing holistic nutritionist and spiritual life coach who has completely transformed from feeling ill and disconnected to now living the healthiest, most vibrant life I could have ever imagined. I truly believe that by tuning into your mind, body, and soul as your magical gateway, you too can achieve higher levels of wellness and start living your most nourished life. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello, lovelies. Welcome to Tuning In. I am so excited to be here today and so excited to bring you a very special interview today with my friend and colleague, Amanda Beattie, also known as Amanda Naturally on Instagram. Amanda is a homesteading, homeschooling, work-from-home mom of two little wildlings. She has a background in nutritional biochemistry and worked as a clinical nutritionist and health coach specializing in autoimmunity for years until the arrival of her firstborn daughter, at which point everything changed. She found herself unexpectedly on the expansive and often painful journey of self-discovery initiated by a chronic illness. With minimal answers from a whole host of practitioners, she ultimately had to take radical steps to reclaim her life. She now raises chickens and cows alongside her husband, John, a naturopathic doctor, and has found joy and purpose in helping people switch to safer skincare products while simultaneously advocating at the federal government in Canada to help make safe products accessible for everyone. Let's dive into the interview. Here we go. Hello. Welcome, Amanda. I'm so excited to have you here. Oh my goodness. I just want to say that I met you through joining Beauty Counter, although I feel like I have like was like, oh my gosh, I feel so connected to her. Like we've known each other in a past time or something like that. Because I'm like, okay, no, this just feels very easy to talk to you and just so many things that we connect on. So I was just like, I need to talk to her. She's got so much, so many cool things going on in her life that I just need to know, like, how, like, how do you do it all? First of all, (laughs) and I think other people really want to hear your story and, you know, just everything that you're doing because you're like a rock star mom and business lady and kind of just doing it all. So I, yeah, welcome. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a blast. And I, I totally agree. It's funny how one of the huge bonuses of social media, I find, is that people are brought into your life. And I say it that way because it feels like there's some sort of intention there. And you're like, yes, we just, our energy just vibe. Like we can just have this conversation. Like before we started recording, we're like, we should probably record because we could chat for an hour. 
exactly. Let's I was like, get going. I gotta press the record button. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm so happy to be here. This is wonderful. So good. So I'm gonna dive into like the number one question I love asking people because it's just interesting for me to see how people kind of start their day and make their day out, right? I mean, every day is different, but like typically because you do so many different things, you wear so many different hats, what does a typical day look like for you? Yes. Well, as you said, every day is different. And because we have chosen to do things differently in so many ways, it tends to be that all of my days do look a little bit different, but there is a general rhythm, a general flow. And this was a concept that I actually learned from a a philosophy within the homeschooling world called Waldorf. And I don't subscribe to any one philosophy for anything, but I like to pick and choose pieces that work for me. And the Waldorf homeschooling world talks about a rhythm and it's a general flow. It's like a loose structure without being like a rigid structure. So it's not like at this time we do this and at this time we do this, it's more of a general flow for the day. And as somebody who personally would love to time block my whole life in 20 minute chunks. That is completely unrealistic with two small children, homesteading, running two businesses, homeschooling. That just doesn't work. So I had to find this middle ground. Plus my husband is like a super rebel. So structure and schedules like make him just not follow it. So we had to find this middle ground. So a typical rhythm for me is every morning we try to wake up with intention between 630 and 7. I have been recovering from a major health crisis. So sleep is my number one. I'm not in a season of life where I'm going to get up early to get work done. Like I'm going to make sure I get as much sleep as I can. And I always start my day with a cup of coffee with my husband. It might be for three minutes sitting at the table. We might be lucky and have 15, 20 minutes to just sit and chat while the kids play. But we always try to have that quiet time, just that intentional start to the day. Sometimes it doesn't happen. We have small children. So sometimes they wake up starving and we are like, ah, in the kitchen trying to create breakfast before we get that opportunity to sit. But we really can, if we can, we prioritize sitting and having a cup of coffee for 10, 15 minutes together and just setting that intention of the day of like peace and flow as opposed to like hustle, hustle, like chaos, because that is not an energy that serves me. So I always have a really, really big breakfast because I have found over my years as a nutritionist and health coach prior, and then since being a mom and navigating health stuff, a uh, a huge, well-balanced breakfast for me is a make or break. So I almost always have gluten-free sourdough with three eggs, a cup of coffee with coconut milk, collagen, and maple syrup. So a huge breakfast. We're talking like seven, 800 calories, and it really sets me up for a consistent energy throughout the day which allows me to do all the things that I want to do to, you know, have a full schedule without feeling chaotic and rushed and harried, you know? So mornings vary. We have a morning rhythm. Mornings tend to be a little bit more structured, I guess you would say. Depends. Sometimes I'm dropping my daughter off at a local homeschool support group, like she goes for a school and a stable school. So two mornings a week, we do that. Other mornings, we just have some quiet time where we're doing some book work or we'll be baking in the kitchen together. If it's, you know, chick hatching season, we're out there taking care of the chicks. And then one one morning a week, Mondays, I have a really long, dedicated work time. Head down, I've got about five hours of work and that's where I get the bulk of my work done. So mornings tend to be really focused family kind of work-life integration where we're doing school, we're doing homestead tasks, we are doing work, having it all, you know, together, piece, you know, a little bit here and there. If I'm working, my husband's doing doing some schooling or has the kids out working on a project in the shop or in the barn. And then 
we have a big lunch. We are big fans of like three large meals. If you need a snack, that's fine. But we try to we free up a lot of time by eating really like good sized nourishing meals three times a day. And then afternoons are always up for grabs. It totally depends on the season we're in. Right now, it's being summer. It's a lot of outdoor time. The kids might be in the pool. I might get a little bit of work done on the deck beside them or I'm in the garden. And then I almost always try to have a yoga practice around 4.30, 5 o'clock. The kids are quieting down. I'm about to make dinner and I take about 15 minutes for myself to just ground and I check in with my body. What do I need? Do I need a slower, more, you know, restorative style yoga? Am I feeling really energized? Am I around ovulation? Maybe I'm going to be doing more of an intense flow. And this has become a really important piece of my day because it is so easy to skip it because I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to get going on dinner or, you know, do this one last thing with the kids. But committing to that has built a lot of, you know, self-trust and really helped with my healing journey and certainly helps living where I live. So in the summer, I do it on the deck, I can hear the rooster crowing. And in the winter, I usually do it right by the fire because we have a little burning stove. We almost always have a family dinner together. Like I would say 95% of the time we sit together as a family. We do bedtime together unless one of us is working. And in the evening, we try to have a quiet evening. Sometimes we're finishing chores. Sometimes we're just sitting and chatting. We're reading. Every so often we do watch some TV. We love watching comedies and then try to get to bed at a reasonable time. My goal is always lights out between 10 and 10, 15 so I can wake up refreshed. And my kids are young, so there's always a chance that they could be waking me up in the middle of the night still. <laughs> so I uh, I really try to prioritize getting to bed at a good time so I can do the things in the day that really light me up and, you know, help us accomplish the goals that it is that we set for ourselves. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was like, I gotta be taking notes right now. This is crazy. I feel like everybody listening should be taking notes. That's, that's sounds like a beautiful day and like a dream day too, because it sounds like you can just accomplish so many things. Like part of me is like, how the heck do you, do you work? while you have kids at home, like while everything is just so crazy, like how do you actually just like focus your mind on the task? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> good question. That took a lot of me figuring that out too. In fact, I was working with a business coach and she had me go through, like do a, a task where I had to sit down and write out what does an ideal day look like for me? And what does an ideal work day versus an ideal non-work day look like for me and actually go through it. And when I sat down and wrote out all those things, I realized how accessible that was. And it wasn't until I actually went through that practice of being like, what would an ideal work day look like for me? And my husband and I, like I said, we're, we're fairly alternative in how we view the world. So instead of prioritizing work-life balance, which feels very compartmentalized, we do something called work-life integration and figure out how we can just work all things together. So I spend a lot, I do a lot of my work on social media. So the kids might be there, they're in the garden with me. I've found a way to the things that I love doing on a daily basis to weave them into the shallow work that I can do throughout the day. And that's the other philosophy that has been really, really critical. Honestly, I'm not sure where the where, where I came from, I think it might be Atomic Habits. I never read the book, but I heard about it on a podcast. And it's this concept concept of deep work and shallow work. And the deep work is stuff that you really need to like have targeted, focused, head down work. And that is non-negotiable. So every Monday morning, I'm in my office by eight and I'm usually working straight through till one. So I've got a five hour chunk. And that is when I do my deep work. No distractions. My husband is full on dad. He is not working other than 
homestead projects, those kind of things, which the kids are brought along for. But any of that kind of work where I need to be really focused with no interruptions for a long period of time, that all happens on Mondays. And every so often, it's a like a certain week or a season with my job that I need a little bit more time. And we find a chunk of time to like add in over the course of the week. But I do my deep work on Monday mornings. And then I have a bunch of shallow work that I can sprinkle in throughout the day. And so I know that if we are, if we have an app, you know, especially in the summer, actually find it easier in the summer because the kids just are so self-directed for play. So that's when I do my shallow work. That's when I, you know, craft some social media posts, respond to emails, check in with clients and or check in with teammates, do some, you know, shallow coaching. All of that can be done when I'm like, I've got 10 minutes right now. I, I'm going to do yoga in 10, in 10 minutes. The kids are happy. I'm going to sit here and just bang off a couple of emails. And so I try to sprinkle those in in chunks of time that work. Now you have to be really careful with boundaries because you could be working 14 hours a day and you know have your brain on that way. So I'm careful with that. But that's how I've really structured is deep work versus shallow work. And deep work is really time blocked. No, no parenting for me, nothing, just work. And then shallow work I sprinkle in throughout my day as a mom. Yeah, I think that's so great. And I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're probably like a type <laughs> a little bit, maybe. <laughs> I am was a type. <laughs> was, it, was it that obvious? I like to say I'm a recovering type A. <laughs> yes, I think you're you're doing it wonderfully because I, I totally resonate with that where you're like, oh my gosh, I, I could be working 14 hours a day straight. So finding that quote unquote balance where it's like, you can do those little send off a quick email, but then you are present with your kids and that you kind of like a lot that time because we've also been sort of homeschooling. Our kids are fairly young where it's like, it's very unstructured. We just kind of go with their flow. What do they want to learn? Oh, look, there's a clock. What time is it? Like <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, but definitely, you know, trying to give them that attention and then also being able to, oh yeah, quick respond to this or check in with a client or, or yeah, things like that. So it is, it is very tricky for me to be like, oh yes, I definitely could if I wanted to be working that, that many hours. And it's, it's a conscious effort to be like, let's just structure in some time where it's like, this is uninterrupted work time. And I, I do really love that. So I think I'm, I think I'm going to just, like, I need like a weekly structure. <laughs> for yes. That. Yes. We have a weekly rhythm. We have yeah. a weekly rhythm that we assess every single um, season where we're like, okay, what is our general weekly rhythm going to look like over the course of the summer, over the course of the fall? And we sit down as a family and my kids are pretty young too. So my littlest is going to turn five next week and my daughter will be seven in the fall. So we're just kind of coming through that really intense toddlers. They still require a lot, um, a lot, obviously. We're just kind of just on the other side of that, like super hands-on all the time. This is our first summer. My husband and I are like, oh my gosh, like we can both be working on projects that might take us one or two hours outside and the kids are fine. Like that is a possibility, which really wasn't for the last seven years with babies and toddlers. So yeah, it, it does take intention as a type A, as you said, because I, it's, plus there's all the, you know, all the stories about worth being determined by productivity and there's just a lot there so you just have to be committed and i found for me a clear idea of why i do what i do like why am i self-employed why do we choose that hard as opposed to an easier or you know 
stereotypically easier hard if somebody are working for somebody else because what does freedom look like for me what does time freedom financial like what do those things look like for me and for me it's we choosing to homeschool we're choosing to live this kind of a life right now so we can be together so why am i letting my job take me away when i want to be like daughter's gonna be seven we can already see this like independence is right around the corner so that time that clock is ticking so that is something that is a top priority for me is that we're here together and my job which i love is what amplifies my top priority which is togetherness as a family yeah i love that and also i'm loving i'm like i have three and six and so i'm like it's like you're right coming. There. it's like you're so close the three the three it's like when we get a couple more years so it is yeah. not that i don't love this time but it mm. is it is much it's more hands on it's it much more hard. Yeah. Yes. When my little guy turned four, you're like, okay, like we're, we're right there. <laughs> and now he's about to be five. And we're like, this is the best. We can stay this age forever. Like it's, it was, it was awesome, but it's hard. Yeah. And I'm the first to say how challenging those early years are and how intensive they are. Um, but it's a season. And then you do get on the other side and all that hard work and that connection is so worth it. Yeah, for sure. So I want to know why, like, not necessarily why, but tell me what you love the best about, about homesteading and homeschooling and which came first and how did that even come yeah. to be? And yeah, like, tell me that, that story, because that's also like a future dream <laughs> of mine <Yeah>. one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because sometimes you, when, you know, social media is wild, right? You, you follow somebody and then suddenly they're like, we're doing this thing. We're moving to the country. And people are like, oh my gosh, that's intense. And, and when you really look back at all the baby steps that led you there, um, you realize that it wasn't an overnight decision or wasn't an overnight acquiring of skills. This is something we've been working on for a really, really long time. And I would say it really started. Well, first of all, I, my parents will be the first to tell you that I, since I was four, I've been asking to move to a farm. I was born and raised in Toronto in the city, I was taking the subway into, you know, rock concerts by the time I was like 13 by myself. Like I was raised a city girl, but I always wanted to be on a farm. And so I say, it took me 31 years, but I got here. <laughs> so that has always been there for me. And I also didn't really think that that was something you could just do. Like, I didn't think that somebody who wasn't born and raised in that rural country farm lifestyle, you couldn't just go and do it. Like, I really didn't think that that was possible. And I was in my, I want to say my mid-20s. I had just graduated with an undergrad degree in nutritional biochemistry. And I was starting to dig into, you know, healing some of my own health symptoms, and issues that I was navigating with food. And my husband was building his naturopathic doctor practice. And we just are knowledge junkies. We want to learn. We constantly want to learn. And so I started acquiring skills i was living in a what we were living in a one-bedroom apartment in toronto overlooking the don valley parkway like right in the city and we started i started acquiring skills that ultimately i found out were classic homesteading skills so this would have been over 10 years ago 14 13 14 years ago i started making bone broth i started clarifying butter and making ghee I started learning how to render my own lard. Like I started doing all these wild old fashioned skills and it was just lighting me up. I loved it. I started learning how to cook a whole bunch of different foods, 
nose to tail, getting large bulk orders of meat so that we, I was like, okay, but now I have to learn how to cut this meat. I've never seen that at a grocery store. How am I going to cook it? So those skills, I, we used to say we were like urban homesteaders and then we moved to the suburbs to buy our first home and we thought we really liked it there. And we just kept on acquiring skills, started doing more and more. I learned how to bake sourdough. So I was doing all of this. And then my husband grew up in a, in a gardening family. So he's very skilled with gardening, at least like the basic concepts of it. So he was doing that. And then we just, the longer we were in practice, the longer we were, he's an agibath. I was working as a clinical nutritionist. We were working together before we had kids. And the, the longer we were in that world, trying to help our clients source of the earth food, you know, source local, lovingly raised and grown food with, you know, minimal modern inputs. We were constantly trying to help our clients source that. We started to think about what if we were on the other side? What if we could help on the production side of things? And that was just a seed that was planted. And, and then the big shakeup in 2020 that we all experienced really brought a lot of things into clarity for us. And we decided that this was the time to just give it a go and try it. And if there was any time, it's now our kids were small. And so we kind of jumped right into that. And again, it was 2020. My daughter was supposed to start JK. We opted for homeschooling instead. And like you, we did more of an unschooling approach because she was so young. And it just all kind of came together. This 10 years of skill development, this opportunity to move, the real estate market went a little bananas and it just happened. And so all of the, it's almost like a decade of practice had got us here. And there were so many skills that I didn't even know we had acquired that were classic homesteading skills that I just was interested in. So it kind of happened naturally. And then that homeschooling thing just just fit in beautifully with with how we do things, especially like I said, the kids were so young. They were two and four. So at that age, schooling is being in the kitchen, you know, counting how many scoops of something we do, going to the grocery store, you know, being with us in the garden, learning how to raise chickens. So it all just kind of happened. And I was the person who said I would never homeschool ever. It's not how I can serve my family. It's not best for me. And I have found that I absolutely love it. It is shocking how much I love this lifestyle and having my kids alongside me and getting to learn alongside them. We take on family projects. We weave all the more kind of core concepts into how we're doing or course, core, I guess, subjects into just our life and what we're doing and have intentional conversations with the kids. And we get to like learn and grow, problem solve create together as a family. And it is, it's so cool. It's so fun. Yeah. And it's like, it almost seems like this like crazy concept, yet this is how things were done for centuries. So yeah. it's like, it, this is, this is the norm. Like this was the norm and this is how yeah. things have always been done. Actually the school system, and I'm not bashing the school system, but you know, everybody does what works best for them. Absolutely. But it's just really interesting how this whole process of homeschooling, homesteading, living within the family, back to your roots, off of your earth, right? Like all of that is just, it just feels like I have, a, I get full body chills when it's a yes feeling. So like I have full body chills <laughs> and it's always just like, yes, that's exactly it. That's, it's the the connection back to just, you know, what feels comfortable, what, what we used to do, right. And how, yeah. how it just makes sense. 
it just it just feels right and I love how it just like kind of came to be for you like even mm-hmm. though you were putting in the work you were building those skills and I think that's a good place to start for anybody who's like where do I even start if I you know like maybe I don't have the money to purchase land right now well it's like what can I do you know save your money and build those skills start start learning how to garden right start with a little yeah. You know, even if you're in an apartment building, get a little planter box or just learn what it's like to keep things alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you don't have children. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that's so great. It's always great to hear the perspective because I do know a lot of people that listen are interested in homesteading or homeschooling and Mm -hmm. or maybe they already do it. So it's just neat to connect. Do you have any other families kind of like in the area that are also doing similar thing to you? A few. We tend to... (laughs) We tend to be the, the more intense end of things because, you know, type A. Um, but we definitely do. So when we moved, we moved about an hour from where we used to live into a different a different county that's predominantly rural. Even the towns that are here are fairly small compared to where we used to live. So we have connected and we've connected with other families. They're not super close because it's a big, you know, we live in the country now. So, but I would say within 25, 30 minute drive, we can be with our, you know, all, all of these wonderful families who are living within the same kind of values. And while that will look different, there's the general approach of like a family centered way of life right now and having a garden. And even if you can't raise any of your own animals, or if you don't have a big space for a garden, going to farmer's markets, and we'll do homeschooling trips to a local farm and, and grab food there and just having those values and those priorities front and center, especially when my daughter was old enough and cape, you know, had enough capacity to go to a, you know, a forest school type, then we really started to connect with some other families because that wasn't on the, wasn't an option for us for a long time. She didn't have the resilience to handle like a whole day with a bunch of people. She is a wonderfully wired, but uniquely wired kid. So she's been a huge impetus for a lot of our our choices in life. But when she suddenly hit an age where she could, then we started plugging in and finding all sorts of other families who have a similar system of values that informs how they show up on a daily basis. Yeah, I love that. Because a lot of people think like, oh, if you're homeschooling, then they don't have any friends or they don't, they're not interacting with other people like peers their age. And But I feel like people would be so surprised to know that there's so many families that are in the same boat or who even kids who are in school, like after school programs or things that you can get involved with in the community or, you know, the field trips and all that kind of stuff. So there's things out there and there's resources mm-hmm. available and that kind of thing. So yeah. Yeah. And I, I also think that small children are like family centered is totally fine. Like you learn a huge amount of how to socialize in society. Cause obviously, I mean, obviously we're not getting too much into homeschooling, but that is a big thing that when you're in this world, people are, you know, that's the number one question, right? Well, how are they going to socialize? And it is an interesting thing to consider. Like is socializing being in a room with 20 other kids who are your age or socializing being in society with a wide variety of age ranges and knowing how to act appropriately. So there are so many opportunities when they're young. And I would say it was really when my daughter was about to be at that grade one age that suddenly we could see that this next step was important for her development. And while she liked playing with kids, it was a lot of still parallel play. Like it wasn't a lot of actual relationship building that was present with 
family and close friends and, and, and the socialization that comes when you go to the grocery store and you go to a doctor's appointment and have those conversations and be involved. And we always empower our kids to do that. So when they're really young, that, that concept of, you know, socializing at, you know, three and a half, four, I actually don't really buy into at all. Like I have found in my experience that it's not necessary. However, as they do get older, there are so, you know what it is? There are too many opportunities to be social. <laughs> As like an introverted homebody, I'm like, okay, what are we choosing this week? Because there are so many things that we can choose to participate in. And I mean, that would be a, a downside of homeschooling is that like parents are usually involved in that. But as I get older and older, it's drop-offs and uh, so many programs. You really get to create this the education plan that your kid needs. Mm -hmm. which has been very important for my daughter and really expansive for all of us because we've created all sorts of new relationships and opportunities to learn even as adults. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's great. I know my, my older son, he's getting into that going into grade one. So it's like, he's ready for a little bit more socialization, but it's like, he just wants to play soccer with a group of kids, yeah. right? It doesn't even matter right. what, who it is or what it is. It's like, he just wants to like do stuff and run around. Whereas my younger son, he's totally cool to just sit with me yeah. and do things as a family. So yeah. yeah, I totally get that. I like that. Cool. Let's kind of shift gears a little bit because yes. it's not even really shifting gears. We're just moving into, I want to know about Amanda naturally and talk yes. about like your whole journey of <laughs> like getting into more living naturally, doing mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. It sounds like it started pretty early on where you were like, okay, we're going to start making bone broth because, you know, this is important and, and your background in sciences and nutrition and everything. But yeah, like what, I guess I could kind of flow into beauty counter too, because I'd love to hear how that came to be. And it's probably kind of all connected. So I'll, just <laughs> yeah. let, you, I'll let you talk about living naturally and kind of getting into the beauty counter world. Yeah, honestly, it came from when it's, oh gosh, I'm going to date myself here. When like Instagram started <laughs> back in the day, I had to choose a handle and I was on this health journey. It had started with myself, but I had taken this, this phenomenal undergraduate degree where I learned so much and I was absolutely fascinated by everything I was learning about how nutrition actually works in the body. And it was at like a biochemistry level. Like it was, it was like a pre-med degree, but with a focus on nutrition and, and I just couldn't get enough. And I was so interested in learning. And then I met my husband who had the same degree. He had just graduated five years prior to me and was now practicing as a naturopath. And it was kind of like, we just met and we're like, this is everything. This is so cool. And I like to think of nutrition as my like gateway drug into growth and development. This was the first time that I realized this was a lever I could pull to change my experience in this world. And I had control over that. And I had had debilitating GI problems since I was a little kid. And they had got really, really bad through university. Surprise, surprise, the stress, right? And probably not taking very good care of myself. Really, really debilitating. And I found that if I tweaked some things, I could not have that experience. And so I didn't have to experience this world through this lens of pain as long as I made these changes. And it was so empowering because it was entirely up to me and I got to create my experience in this world. So that was like my gateway. 
And then I started realizing there were so many other levers I could pull to change my lived experience. But nutrition was a biggie for a long time. I wanted to learn everything that I could. I realized that there was a, my husband, and I realized there was a lot of stuff that we were taught that was still within like the medical dogma of nutrition, wasn't actually valid. We had to unlearn, relearn, dug into the research, just were obsessed with learning exactly how to fuel our bodies, how to help people. And then Instagram came about and I knew I wanted to like start sharing on there just you know pictures of meals which is what was with like a funny filter which is how it started back in the day and so I had to choose a handle and I was like do I do something with nutrition and I just it was like I had this knowing don't put the word nutrition in there I know you're obsessed with it right now but that is going to keep you in a box and what if things change what if things evolve I was always super athletic and I was like what if I go a little bit more into the fitness side of things because at that point fitness and nutrition were, were health that was a definition of health in my mind I was like 24. And so I just chose the word naturally, like Amanda naturally, because it flowed and it definitely encompassed the concept of nutrition, but it was also open-ended because I said, I remember saying to my then boyfriend, who knows where we're going to go? Who knows where we're going to end up? And this concept of a business as Amanda naturally is just a lot more broad, which, which is funny in the age now of niching down. It just allowed me to talk about more things that was interesting to me and all of the different levers I was pulling to like level up my my health and my experience in this world. So that's where it started. And gosh, maybe that was back in 2011, I think. I had a Blackberry, so I didn't have Instagram when it first, <laughs> first started. Um, so that's where Amanda actually came from. And ultimately I became a clinical nutritionist. I did a bunch of extra nutrition education. And so it was very nutrition focused for a long time. But Within that, I was often talking about movement and mindfulness and what you put on your body and how that impacts. Because once I started asking questions about what was in my food and reading labels, it was like the littlest jump to be like, well, wait a second, what's in the products that I'm using? And I will give a total hat tip to my husband, who was the one who brought this to my attention because I didn't know. And I said, well, I'm, I'm using Clinique. It's great for sensitive skin. It's totally safe. And he was like, ah go check out environmental working group and see and I was floored I didn't know what I didn't know I did not know that there were no regulations in Canada or the U.S. to keep people safe it was totally in favor of the industry and there was nothing accounted there was no accountability and there are a lot of ingredients that are being used that have strong strong links to health harm and I just didn't know that this was the thing so this would have been back in 2011 and I started making some of my own products and going to health food stores. And of course I was like, you know, 25. So I could wash my face with olive oil <laughs> and be totally cool with that. Make some of my own products. I had lovely youthful collagen in my skin because I had not quite cracked that 30. So it was happening years ago. It was all part of this like journey of learning, understanding and trying to level up. And my husband and I were working together, thriving practice. We loved the setup that we had where he would do the medicine and then his patients would immediately come into my office and I would hold their hands through how to implement these changes in their life in a reasonable way so they could see results fast. And then we had a baby, we had our first baby. And gosh, I remember so naively being like, well, if I have a kidnapper, I'll probably be back to work by like three months. And I like, so naive, I had no idea. Like I just, my heart for that version of me. So that didn't happen <laughs> for many, many reasons. And I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but I 
like I was shattered by motherhood. I, I couldn't say, see which way was up and down. Nothing that I thought was true seemed to be true anymore. Like it was just a, like a dark night of the soul. That first year of motherhood it was really, really intense. And beauty counter fell into my lap when she was about six months old. And I just, I needed something for my brain because I like to learn but I was so exhausted. I had undiagnosed hypothyroidism. I had a lot that I was dealing with. So I couldn't do much. And so often with a high needs kid, she had to be on me all the time. So suddenly I had this opportunity to learn and help and serve and grow and make an impact on people's health on my phone when I was stuck under yet another contact nap when I thought that was going to be my life forever. And beauty counter just fell into my lap. So uh, we're a company that uses incredibly high-performing products to raise money, to advocate and change legislation at a federal level. And I was like, this is something that I want to be a part of. I get to keep having these conversations with people um, that I was having already in clinic, helping people find products that they could comfortably put on their bodies because the area that we were working with was autoimmunity, which is so intricately wrapped up in hormones, especially in women. And so what happens to our hormones has a huge impact on our autoimmune experience. And what we put on our bodies impacts our hormones. So it was this like conversation I was having all the time. And I was realizing that, you know, I could help somebody in my office and give them strategies. But if they use a public bathroom or they go to somebody's house or they're just walking behind somebody on the sidewalk and fragrance is being, you know, you know, coming in their direction or they're putting it on their hands because that's what's considered okay and normal, they were still having this routine exposure to things like phthalates and parabens, which have, you know, clinically been proven to have an impact on our hormonal system. So suddenly I could have these one-on-one conversations. I could help people individually improve their health in a, with an easy button, like lateral shift, like don't use this moisturizer, use this moisturizer, like no new habits need to be built. You can improve your health with just making a simple swap while simultaneously raising money to advocate and create legislative change to make this not be the case, right? To, to change the regulations so that companies are accountable and can't use fragrance and phthalates and other ingredients, which are known to cause all sorts of health issues in our body. So it was totally accidental, totally unexpected. I thought I would be in nutrition forever. I loved it. And then my world changed after becoming a mother and beauty counter fell into my lap again, I would say probably intentionally. And I just dabbled with it for a couple of years when I was in the depth of postpartum. And then I realized the impact I could have on the health of my people, my community, but also my country by you know, committing to this work. And, and that's how it all, it all happened. That's how I got here. <laughs> that's amazing. There's so much goodness in all of that. It's like, okay, we can like, go can off on like up a so, many, yeah. so many different directions because yeah. I feel that motherhood journey as well. Mm -hmm. When you become a mom and you're like, well, life gets rocked and you're just like, whoa, okay. Everything I thought that was going to happen postpartum is not. And I need to just like yeah. lean into what's actually going on and just mm -hmm. kind of go with this new flow because I'm trying to figure out who I am again and what's going on. And so mm -hmm. I think that's amazing that it it kind of fell into place with beauty mm -hmm. counter, but it's also something that you're so aligned with that it was like yeah. so easy. And it was, yeah, yeah, it's like, this just makes sense to me. It's like the whole homesteading and, yeah. and homeschooling. It's like, and now we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. I know. I like good. to say that, uh, I like to say that my niche is chickens and lipstick, which is like not even a <laughs> lead. 
like, what is that? What is that? <laughs> but again, like, I'm not, I just like, yeah, it all works for me because it is all rooted in this idea of little step, baby steps, simple swaps, taking radical responsibility for your experience in this lifetime and, you know, doing those things that help you improve your experience and then allow you to serve your community better. Yeah, 1000%. And I am a beauty counter consultant as well. Yeah. That's how we know each other. But it's just funny because again, like we have similar paths that kind of got us there mm-hmm. where, you know, I had issues and I was, I was putting coconut oil. I was like washing my face with mm-hmm. coconut oil for the longest time. So like, there's no clean products out there. And this yeah. was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And now it's like the fact that we have these products and they work. They're not just like yeah. natural kind of like, you know, I grew this in my backyard and here we go. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually do anything. I am obsessed with the products and I did, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I joined before the discount. <laughs> totally. I did too. I totally I did too. the discount, but I love the yeah. products and I do, yeah. you know, I have clients that are like, I need cleaner products. And it's like, it's mm-hmm. always just good to have that as somewhere to, you know, guide people. It's like, here are the baby Mm -hmm. steps. Here are the little things that you can do that will eventually make a really big difference. I call them like big rocks where it's like, they do make a big impact like down the line. So yeah. And just the whole fact that, you know, they are working towards changing Mm -hmm. policies. It's like, that is what is the most amazing part of it. They're not just like, here, we're just doing this because we want to make money. It's like, no, we actually want to change what's Mm -hmm. being labeled and what is being put into the products that you're putting on your skin and making sure that you know what's going on. So I know you were just at Parliament recently. Mm -hmm. I would love to like chat a little bit about like what exactly went down. Yes. Well, I feel like this is such a good example of how we're different because it's not uncommon to have incentive trips in the social selling industry. And, you know, you often see people on the beach and, and earning fun prizes and all that, all that kind of stuff, which, which is fun. But this is the most, like the highest, what, what's the word, the most highly coveted trip within the beauty counter world is this incentive trip where you have, you get to, you get the opportunity to earn a spot on an advocacy team to parliament. And I had that privilege of earning that spot in May. And I went with 30 other, uh, 29, there were 30 of us. So with 29 of my colleagues, and we spent a day on Parliament Hill in meetings with MPs. I think we had 29 meetings with MPs, with senators. The last time they went, they were meeting with Health Canada. And we had a really intense training on how to have conversations with MPs, how, and based on their political position and the party that they're on and the party, or the party that they represent and the, and the, the general viewpoint, because we were working to really overhaul the Canadian Environmental Protection Act, which is called SEPA. That is what regulates ingredients and personal care products. The challenge is it's a very, very nebulous, massive federal bill that, I mean, listen to me talk. I didn't know any of this stuff before. <laughs> I didn't know any of this. So massive federal legislation in Canada that controls the in- ingredients, but it, it's the same legislation that talks about, you know, our waterways and protecting our air pollution. It is a huge nebulous bill. And unfortunately, that is where personal care products are lumped into. So to make changes to that kind of legislation is 
a lot of work. And you can imagine what the House of Commons looks like when they're trying to debate, you know, what changes go forward and what don't. So we, like my personal team, there was like five of us and we had five different meetings in one day. So we were all over Ottawa, all over Parliament, meeting with MPs, having conversations, sharing our stories, connecting human to human, heart to heart. And it was the most wonderful experience. It was such a good reminder that face-to-face, heart-to-heart, human-to-human conversations is how we change things. And there, it was just the, it was just the most, it was the most incredible day. And within a month, we had helped influence and pass change to SEPA. So we have started, we've, we've helped encourage the first legislative change in over 25 years. No, it was 20, it was 19, 1999, so 24 years to help get the ball rolling on changing this industry and making the, you know, companies accountable for what they put in their ingredients. We were asking for a little, or what, what ingredients they put in their products. We were asking for some little baby steps like transparency in ingredients, like labeling, none of which is, in, is the rule in Canada. And so this, the important thing that we accomplished was first of all, having this conversation because my colleagues went and did this back in uh, 2019 was the first time we went to Ottawa. And then, of course, it didn't happen for a couple of years. And so we were back four years later. And the colleagues of mine who had the opportunity to be there at both advocacy on both advocacy trips said that in 2019, nobody on the Hill knew what they were talking about. Nobody knew that ingredients in our personal care products mattered, that it was even an issue, like none of this. And then four years later, almost every MP that we talked to was aware that this was an issue, was aware that their constituents thought this was an important issue. Like the government's own research has shown that 75% of Canadians are interested and strongly support proper labeling of products, full disclosure of ingredients. And so the importance of these conversations and sharing your story and having one-on-one conversations and how that can change and how the conversation is so much louder and only four years and not just with like people like you and I, you know, people who are actively engaged in improving our health and our lifestyle. Like my favorite meeting was with a gentleman from Alberta who represents a conservative riding and is a grandfather. And he was emotional telling his story about his experience and his grandchild and was like, you have my support. I had no idea that this was something we could have an impact on. And it was the most powerful meeting and not what I would have expected walking into that room. And just once again, being reminded that conversations matter and you can have an impact by just having a heart-centered conversation with somebody, whether it's your neighbor, all the way up to your MP, (laughs) in parliament, over the phone, whatever it is, that these conversations matter. It was incredible to have this opportunity and then within six weeks to see the legislation actually change. And to have been a part of influencing that and making the world just a little bit safer for Canadians. That's amazing. And the fact that it changed so quickly. Like, I feel yeah. like that can take months and months and months for you to actually see changes mm-hmm. happen. So it's very exciting that mm-hmm. this is happening, that more people are talking about it. But also, it's like, what can we do in another year, another two years? Right. Where are we going to be five years from now, right? If we continue to have those conversations, if we continue to raise awareness and and just talk about it. And I think enough people have these personal experiences where it's like, mm-hmm. this is what I went through and this is how it got me to 
switch, or this is what, you know, showed up in my life, or I know somebody and, you know, and you have more and more of those conversations and, and yeah. it brings in connection, right? And you're like, wow, okay, we are strong and, you know, we yes. can actually make change. We just have to use our voice. <laughs> use our voice. Yeah. Your story matters yeah. and, and use yeah. your voice. And I will give full credit to the work that had happened prior. We knew that this vote was coming up. And so the timing of this trip mm -hmm. was intentional. The work that we started with Beauty Counter started back in 2019. And we were advocating for SEPA change then. So those people were like, it took four years. Whereas I'm like, it took six days. <laughs> um, but we, know, we right. knew that this vote was on the table. And so the timing was critical because even if like one or two of our meetings, influenced a change in vote, you know, that could have been the make or break for this going forward. So I will say that we just had the opportunity to show up at the right time, kind of push forward all of the work that has been being done for the last two decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So question, what could you say to like just anybody, right? Just like anyone who's like, I want to make a difference. This is interesting to me. Like, what can people do to just like start that conversation or start raising awareness or just learn more? Like, where what can people do? Where can people go to find out more information about that? So one of my favorite tools is the Skin Deep database. So Environmental Working Group has an incredible database called Skin Deep like so skin deep database and you can input your products that you're using right into their database and they will give you all of the information that they have available so they will give it a score out of one to ten one to nine one to ten for ten being the worst for toxicity zero the ones being like super super safe and then that middle ground and so they'll tell you based on the ingredients that are in there based on the transparency of the company if they're forthright with their manufacturing products and their full ingredients list because companies don't have to be, that's voluntary. And so that's a really good first step and is understanding the products that you're using and where on that scale. Are you mostly in the under five? You're in a good position. If you are mostly in that eight to 10, that is something to work on. And then, so that would be how to acquire information. That's a really, really good first step. And then in terms of actually making those shifts, this is something that I used to always coach people in when I was a clinical nutritionist is, as things run out, replace them with something better. There's a time and a place to throw things out. You know, if you get a celiac or an autoimmune diagnosis, like we're not going to use up your flour and then replace it with gluten. There's a time and a place for throwing that in the garbage. However, when it comes to your personal care products, it can be expensive to just overhaul it. And some people want to, and I celebrate that too. Like the people find out and are like, oh my gosh, I can never put that on my body again, throw it in the garbage, replace everything. So know yourself, whatever works for you, but that is a, an investment to do that. So I have always, always stood by the power in baby steps adding up over time, creating this snowball effect. So thinking about the things that you put on your body and use daily and that stay on your body. So less of an issue is things like soap and shampoo because you put them on. Yes, you're in contact with them, but they're not staying on your body. Things that are on your skin, moisturizers, serums, things that are close to your like the, your eyes and your mouth. So mascara, lip gloss, things that you're going to be putting on your children. Those are the things to be swapping out first. So you're like, okay, my moisturizer ran out. I'm just going to take two minutes and look on EWG, see what my moisturizer was, see what number it was, and then see if I can find one that is a lower score. And if you don't know, 
there are so many people out there who can help you. Obviously, you can reach out to either one of us. We'd be more than happy to more than happy to help you find something that works for you. You can or not. It does not have to be. There's so many great options now because this is finally becoming trendy. But that would be my advice: is you know, do the research, look at the products you're using, figure out where they fall on that scale. And then as things run out, now you know better, you can do a little bit better. When something runs out, choose a safer option. Choose a deodorant instead of an antiperspirant. Choose a lip gloss that's guaranteed to be tested for heavy metals because they're so often contaminated. And then just over time, you know, if you start today, where you are six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, you're going to be like, I don't even recognize my drawer and look at how healthy and safe all these products are. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I know. I just like, I just had a flashback actually in my twenties when I was a beautician or a cosmetologist for a pharmacy brand store in Ontario. <laughs> I won't say where. And I thought I was using all the right products. Like I was using yeah. all the high end stuff and I just had breakouts everywhere. And I, I mean, I had a lot of things going on internally as well that I ended up cleaning up, but I will say like ever since switching, <laughs> there's been like, I always have people ask me like, what are you using on your skin? What is it like? What mm -hmm. kind of makeup are you using? Cause it's so subtle, but it's like, you know, it's great. I'm like, yeah, I, and this isn't an ad for beauty. <laughs> no, this is not why we're no, talking no. today. It's not about trying to sell beauty counter. But it's just, I think it's a very mm -hmm. back end of it, understanding yeah. what you're putting on your skin, yeah. what you're, you know, what you're voting with, with your money too, right? Like where your mm -hmm. money's going, who you're supporting, all that kind of stuff is really, is really important too in the big picture. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> and there are so many great companies that have safe products now, which is something mm -hmm. that um, is like. Obviously, I'm, I I love our advocacy work, which is unique to what we're doing. That's really part of why I joined and got loud and really started pouring into that business. But part of our MO is, is being the leaders. And we have this whole approach that is, we have what's called our blueprint for clean, where we help other companies in this industry to overhaul and change and increase their standards and raise up the whole standards in this industry. So when I think about when I started, so this, we're 10 years old and what was available and now the options that are available, it is mind blowing. Even you can even get fairly decent products at like the dollar store and Walmart on Amazon at grocery stores. Like you don't have to go to Whole Foods or the health food store, which is when I started looking for this stuff 10, 15 years ago, that was your only option. You go to an expensive health food store and not get great results or make your own and not get great results. <laughs> and there is a huge range of companies that you get to choose from now where you don't have to sacrifice your health in the name of performance. Like you can choose both, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And I think that's what people want, right? They just want to yeah. know it's going to work that if they're going to invest the money and the time to switch and all that kind of stuff, it's like, yeah. it's got to work. And, and I think that's, what's so great about a lot of these new companies and these new products that are yeah. coming out. Cause it's like, yeah, well, we figured it out. <laughs> Yes. I'm not just putting something out being like, this is clean. It's actually, right. it's actually working. So that's a, that's a big piece to it. So, okay, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. I would love for you to share how people can reach you, how, like where they can follow along your homesteading life, yeah. <laughs> how they can see all your chickens and your new cows. Cause I mean, I love following along. I'm always like, oh my gosh, what is she doing today? Yeah. 
what am I doing today? Who knows? You're just running around carrying chickens and I just always, I've always got like a chicken yeah. in like a football hole. <laughs> okay. So Instagram, I'm a millennial. Instagram is my jam. I live on Instagram and I'm actually on threads now as of two days ago. So I'm there too, but no, Instagram's my favorite. My ha- my handle is Amanda naturally all one word. I do have my Instagram pop over to Facebook because back in the day, that's where I started, but I don't spend a ton of time on Facebook. I am not, yeah, that's it. Instagram's my jam. You can also email me, amandanaturally at gmail.com. But honestly, connect with me over on Instagram. I'm in DMs. I chat with everybody. I've got all sorts of links and resources there. And we have a new Instagram handle specific to our farm. It's called What's Another Way Farm, which is how we live our life. We're always like, what's another way? So what's another way farm? And I link to that on my Amanda Naturally often. So that's very, very farm heavy. But all all the things that I talk about, uh, health and homeschooling and homesteading and skincare and anything that's like rooted in this pulling lovers to, you know, up level your experience is all over on Amanda Naturally on Instagram. Perfect. And I will link all of that in the show notes so people can have a quick link to it and find you and ask you any questions that they want and follow along. And I'm also on threads. I don't know how I feel about it yet. Yeah. <laughs> We're two days in. But I'm there. I'm there. there and we'll see what happens. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Okay, Amanda, thanks so much for coming on. Honestly, it's always such a pleasure and I'm so glad that we could connect and we'll chat soon, okay? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. Thanks, Amanda. Bye. Bye. Hey, before you go, do you like quizzes? If so, I have created a super fun little quiz that you can take to see where you vibe at most frequently. This is just a fun little quiz that you can take. It only takes about five minutes and it just explains to you sort of where your frequency is emitting most often. So click the link in the show notes if you want to take the quiz. And if you feel so called to send me your score, because I love to know where you guys are vibing at and how I can help you raise the vibe.